0: Hello and welcome
1: to episode 242 of the Winning 6 Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan.
0: Hello! That was very operatic. Holy cow!
1: <laughs> it was! I mean, I was going to preface this with that you were a little bit under the weather. Your voice may not be up to it. You might sound a little congested. And then you did that, so... There's no need. I mean, expectations are set high for you now. Yeah. As promised, we are here to talk some books history, really. Um, I mean, there's a mixture of events that are happening in the coming days and events that happened a long time ago on the agenda for this podcast. As we flagged up the end of the last episode, and as any of you who read our work on Behind the Book Pass will likely be very well aware by now, um, September is books history month for us. Um, it's the third year in a row Behind the Pass. We've run that last year. We did some corresponding history podcasts to go with that. And we're going to do the same this year. So this episode is going to be very much focused on what our team on site is this week. And that is the Hall of Fame. This is Hall of Fame Induction Week. There are
0: three
1: figures with ties to the books. I only see one. Uh, you? <laughs> we'll get to them later. Um, who will take their place in the halls of Springfield this week. But overall the franchise has a very, very, very weird history with the Hall of Fame, which I mean stands in line with the book's relationship with a lot of different things with the books themselves. It's pretty strange, right? Yes.
0: Yes, sorry, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's okay. I was just checking that. I wasn't imagining its strangeness <laughs> in total there are 13 hall of famers with ties to the books that is a little bit generous because it does include say casey jones who i believe was an assistant for one year with the books although no one really associates him with that they associated with all of the championships he won with the celtics as a player and a coach outside of that though you might know jordan you might have read my article you might Wait, given is that also
0: counting is that also counting Hubie Brown?
1: No, but isn't that a separate section? The broadcast section is different. I'm Was talking he,
0: oh. Wait, what? Was is he, he, no, doctor? is he
1: no, maybe you're right on that. I'm I'm on the Hall of Fame website saying that. So it's their mistake.
0: As a if contributor not. to what? I, I'm reading Wikipedia, which is you know basically. That's not
1: the contributor isn't the coaching one. Yeah, okay. So that's broadcasting. It's it's broadcasting and coaching. So it's a separate thing. Stop trying to throw this off, Jordan. So we've got 13 right. guys, right? <laughs> As I touched on when I wrote about this, if you're to ask a Bucks fan to name all 13, I think they'd go short pretty quickly. You'd get Kareem, right? Mm-hmm. How far are you going to get beyond that? Big O. Yeah. Now, I'm guessing you, you've you seen most of these. Right. Nelson is an obvious one. and um, With a bit of thought, I would guess Payton. most serious books fans would get Wayne Embry. Peyton that you just mentioned falls in line with what reads really the books. Interesting <laughs> history. Otherwise, like anytime Gary Peyton comes up, you know, something interesting is in store. Really, the collection of players otherwise who have books ties in the hall of fame are made up of players who almost universally spent one year in Milwaukee at the end of their career. As in the very last stop, you have a couple of exceptions to that. Moses Malone spent two years, at 36 and 37, and he did play for another couple of years after that. Uh, Gary Payton is an exception because it may have been the end of his career in Milwaukee, but he decided against that and he left for Los Angeles And the only other exception is Alex English, who spent two years at the start of his career in Milwaukee before being traded away and probably becoming the best scorer of the 80s. I think he did score more Mm. points than any other player in the 80s. So it's not even Mm. all that up for debate. Could have done with that guy. That's a story for another day. That's
0: quite a nugget there you got, Adam.
1: (laughs) Sorry about that if I... Yeah, brought the tone up a little bit, made people feel a little bit better. (laughs) What we're getting to here, though, among guys like Guy Rogers, who was literally a guy, um, (laughs) Dave Combs, Tiny Archibald, Adrian Dantley, um, who am I forgetting? um... Bob Lanier is the only other one I forgot, which people might have got because he is one of the eight guys whose jersey has been retired. His number has been retired by the books. Although he very much fits this bill, too, as outside of Kareem, outside of Kareem, um, it's fair to say the players in the Hall of Fame all spent their prime years playing elsewhere rather than the books. That is weird. It is depressing. And I mean, it's also something that should be rectified. You wrote about some of the books Players who haven't managed to get in yet, and it's ridiculous. It really is. I mean, when first and foremost, obviously, when Sidney Moncrief isn't in, like, what kind of basketball Hall of Fame is it without Sidney Moncrief? Then you've got Bob Dandridge, who his resume holds up and is far superior to a lot of guys who are in there. Um, Marcus Johnson definitely has a strong case. All the books have some way to go in honoring him uh, properly themselves you had Jack Sikma too. And I I think you could probably, there probably are cases, not necessarily the strongest cases, but in looking around at some of the other players that have got in over the years, there are other players who played for the books that probably, you know, could have gotten in. And of course, all this is interesting because this week, Ray Allen will enter the hall of fame. And in my opinion, he'll join Kareem as only the second former book who kind of spent prime years in Milwaukee and ended up in the Hall of Fame. Like, the books have been... I know it doesn't feel like it lately, right? The books have been a very, very good franchise throughout their history. They've been pretty successful. Sure, there's only one championship, but they've very regularly, or at least they they were very regularly, a contender in the Eastern Conference, Western Conference before that. A perennial kind of top team that you'd expect to find as the playoffs get to the kind of their business end and yet there is this significant gap really in terms of representation or just a weird collection of players like oscar is oscar is another player who obviously i mean the crowning achievement uh, may be debatable the thing that sealed his legacy anyway was achieved in milwaukee but his best years did come in cincinnati what do you make of this weird mix? And is it just very books is a very representative of <laughs> how the rest of the basketball world looks on the books, how the books can be overlooked. Is it in line with all of that? Or is this just something really stranger? Does this just reflect on professional sports hall of fames generally, which I mean, I'm the basketball one is actually one of the yeah, best ones.
0: One, it's kind of the worst one in that really? sense because yeah because the standards for it, it's it's basketball hall fame it's a very general generic there's a lot of ways that people can be honored that's why I like in the case of marcus johnson you could say you can look at him okay like he had seven really great seasons with the bucks tailed off because of injury and other stuff happening with his career when he when he left milwaukee but you can consider his college car- career and that was very sterling in its own right. So it's a very well, general way of looking. He's
1: a contributor now as well because he's now also yeah. got an Emmy for for basketball broadcasting. So yeah. like his overall. But what's wrong with that? I don't. I don't see the problem with that. I mean,
0: I don't think it's the problem, but it's a weird. If you're gonna hold those, or bring in those standards when evaluating someone's case. Because there are a lot of guys that probably are really good college players that may, may not have the greatest NBA uh, careers, but they still had an impact on the game. Like Sidney Moncrief is like probably the shining example of a guy, like the biggest Hall of Fame snub currently. Maybe him or Chris Webber, where you could kind of look at like they their peaks weren't that long, but what they did was kind of evident. You could see like the – The traces of their game still in how players play today. So it's just a weird kind of amorphous. And I think they're the only Hall of Fame, from what I gather. Maybe the NFL. I'm not sure about their kind of like critique. But I think like the the kind of like the voting board or committees or whatever. You don't see like the votes itself. Like the baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, everybody has that's like common knowledge. That is like one of the biggest debates every year about baseball. But ba- basketball—it's really just kind of this shadowy process um, that just you don't. It happens and it happens, and you're just like, "Oh, like, the, you, like we have like these same circular uh, arguments or debates again." It's like, "Why isn't Chris Webber in the Hall of Fame? Why is the city of for the Hall of Fame? Why isn't
1: Webber?" Well, Weber will likely get in and likely yeah. get in soon. But what happens, and I think this is the bigger problem, like the the 13 people who are with books connections in there. I mean there isn't one of them who doesn't belong in the hall of fame. They're all deserved just from a books perspective. When we look at it, it's like, okay, yeah, these aren't players we associate with the Milwaukee books because the guys who really have careers deserving of that haven't made it in. And for me, that's a, that's an indictment on the process of it all, because you have this kind of cycle of when players can become eligible and that forces waves true. Like, there's no reason why Sidney Moncrief shouldn't have been in for a long time, but say gear like this one comes along the new inductees aren't necessarily all more deserving than him, but they're in because it's their turn. Oh, it's the first ballot. They're eligible. They go in, you know, if you don't get in first ballot, if you don't get in and your second year round, then it starts to kind of freeze you out. And, there's something really illogical about that. There probably should just be a wider view of, okay, we've got some wrongs to correct here. And I mean, they generally get round to them eventually. But as I think in conversations over the years, as you have frequently brought up on this, sadly, it's often too late. They often wait until someone has passed and there's this great outpouring of love and support for them, whether it's a player, a coach, an executive. And rather than that player, that person getting the moment they had earned for their career where they get to stand up and thank everyone and be honored like that. It's a family member who gets to do that, which it doesn't cheapen it. They're still in the hall of fame forever, but you know, there's likely been a mistake in the process. If you know, particularly we're a professional athletes in a lot of cases, if you retire in your thirties and you live a long, healthy life, and then you end up being honored after your death, what happened for all the time in between that? So there's a really weird kind of... I, I think it's broken the way they assess it. And that comes down to the cycles of when a player is eligible because there are certain players who it's not even about, well, how do they stand in the greater context of players in the Hall of Fame as much as it is they're the best player of this group that's eligible now. So they've got to go in. And I think that's where it's really broken. It just mm-hmm. makes for... A really kind of interesting and strange look when you think, okay, who's in the Hall of Fame? And when you think, again, the books have eight retired jerseys. I don't know if there's many franchises in the NBA that it's only like 38% of their retired jerseys are in the Hall of Fame. I feel like that would be pretty rare. I mean, the books must be on the low end of that scale. So, that is going to go way towards being rectified this week because Ray Allen makes his way into the Hall of Fame. We'll start with him, and we'll get on to the others, Jordan. I know you're eager to talk with the others. Who? What? The, the others. We'll talk with them. Lost? No, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not all that's a similar, but we can touch on that yeah. later if you like. Um,
0: Jason Kidd did – they did – the Bucks ownership did find Jason Kidd uh, – in a tree after his pairs Is that... I don't know. I'm trying to think of Lost. <laughs> I was
1: just... I was thinking of him as more of a Ben Linus character. But anyway... That's what I was thinking! We'll bring it to Ray Allen before we get to somewhere we can't back out of. Yeah. <laughs> Ray Allen is one of these first battle Hall of Famers. I think in his case, that is fair. It's deserving. He won championships with two different franchises he was a star for three franchises really I mean I don't know does that say something about his longevity and the the way his career arc worked that books fans, Supersonics fans and Celtics fans would all feel like they saw Ray Allen's prime and they could make a case for that and have a claim for that which is a testament to him and how his game aged and how he refined it and You know, he famously kept himself in great shape. Is there any qualms about Ray Allen getting in at this point, or is this where he rightfully belongs?
0: Oh, rightfully belongs. I mean, I think they sped. I mean, this is the first year that they changed the process of uh, letting in players after they retire three years instead of four years. I believe that's what it used to be. Could have been five. Anyway, um, I mean all-time career leader in... be
1: five because of one of the people we'll talk about later it would be five years since he was retired not rod torn
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah it would be five huh okay right. continue all right sorry um yeah all-time career three-point leader uh for the moment obviously Steph Curry's Likely going to break that, maybe Clay Thompson too. Um, but still, uh, I mean, the fact that, you know, he definitely had – his game definitely changed over the years. He was more of the kind of – he doesn't get credit for how he played with the Bucks because just, you know, the nature of playing with the Bucks at that time of the NBA. Uh, you know, definitely to have, like, social media, new age technology, all that stuff. But, you know, to cha- change his game from that to kind of, like – Taking out more more of the lead scorer at the end of his Bucks tenure into Seattle, then forming a, the big three with the uh, with the Celtics, and then you know arguably hitting probably the greatest shot yeah. of all time. Um, I mean,
1: and that was late in his career. I mean, yeah. that's post prime, really. I mean. Um, his legacy is just remarkably impressive. And he is an interesting player for, as you mentioned, the way his game changed. And it's always fun to, say, go back and watch Ray Allen win the dunk contest during his time as a book because that's not the guy that anyone really associated with as being for 10, 12 years, you know, after that. Like, it's amazing how his perception changed. And you're talking about the all-time leader in three point in May three point field goals, and he is still comfortably ahead on that. I mean, yeah, Steph probably will get him, but it will take a few more years. It will take being healthy. I'm looking at Clay Thompson. Like Clay Thompson is fourteen
0: hundred trees behind him, and he's played what seven years.
1: He's a long way back. I don't, yeah. I don't know about that. And I mean, of current players with any kind of career length left, James Harden's on sixteen forty seven, so he's just over 1,300 trees behind. That's a lot for all these guys. Steph will probably get there, but it will require good health, and that's not necessarily a guarantee. But to be that guy and to have that as, when he goes into the Hall of Fame, what he's known as, and yet to have been a very different player starting his career and no less effective, able to score in bunches, able to make all-star appearances, that is really, really impressive. Where this leads me on to, and it's something that, um, I'm gonna write about. We'll have something up on behind the of pass tomorrow for Ray Allen is going into the Hall of Fame. Do the Bucks need to make some sort of effort to get Ray Allen back into the fold? As such, is this just who Ray Allen is that he's not gonna do all this stuff? We're not gonna see it. But when we talk about you know players being honored, jersey retirements. There's a lot of areas, and we'll touch on some of them later. I think the books still fall down in that regard, but I do think they've made more of an effort in recent years to at least increase visibility of former players. Not with Ray Allen. We haven't seen him. Maybe, I mean, I guess is he ever sighted anywhere other than on the golf course? But he's a player who I think... The presence of him around the books would mean a lot right now and it would mean a lot because of one that was the last great team the books had he was Mm. one of the stars of it and for that reason it's a team that has more immediacy and for a lot of people who go to games you know that is their memories they not everyone at books games can remember the heydays of the 70s and 80s and they're left with a lot of grim stuff and the brief period where Ray Allen, Glenn Roberts, and Sam Cassell were able to elevate the books beyond that. I think there has to be some sort of effort there. Now, whether he wants it or not, obviously that's on him. And for someone who I never, as a player, I never found them to be overly media shy. He, he wasn't like the most flamboyant character by any stretch of the imagination, but I didn't think he was like, I didn't think of him as Tim Duncan, for example, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And yet in retirement, all's quiet on the Ray Allen front. A couple of questions here then. First of all, should the books be should the books be looking to involve Ray Allen and remind the fans of those teams a little bit more? And secondly, is Ray Allen the kind of player who, you know, behind Marcus Johnson retiring jersey should be looked at should be considered i know there's a a very complicated reason or what am i saying a not so complicated reason a very large man who now wears the number 34 (laughs) who may make that a little bit more confusing and terry cummings should also have a place in that conversation but do they need to look into both of those things
0: I understand it, obviously. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'm sure, I, I mean, there probably are efforts made uh, that we just uh, obviously have no idea about. Well, but... I,
1: the, the only reason I, I'm not 100% convinced on that is we could say this is a comment or a byproduct of what recent books teams are. But take any big event, and who are the recent books that get wheeled out? Who are the who are the people that they? The
0: they can, opening?
1: It, that's an example. And Michael Red is there. And Michael Red should be there, and you have Vin Baker there. And you say, yeah, okay. I mean, Vin Damn Baker. That. Vin Baker should be there. Then you have Steve Novak sitting on the end. I mean, I, I do think there is. I know it's not been the most glorious of say 20 25 years for the books but there were some good times in there and mm-hmm. I don't know maybe this is something that no one else cares about no one else would ever care about but I'm quite interested in this the reason we do this history month every year and we have these kind of conversations is um, I certainly do I feel like you're on the same page as me generally on this we find the history of the franchise to be kind of important uh, it's important that people are somewhat aware of it. It informs who the books are, who the books hopefully could be at some time. If you dive into book's history, you can get a handle on, oh, hey, the books weren't always the, you know, never trust the books. books. I, I think there is something there that needs to be embraced and needs to be highlighted. And I don't know. I don't know what the general feeling of Ray Allen is towards Milwaukee. He always has good things to say when it comes up, but I'm sure he has a certain kind of feelings because of how that ended, even though that was very much of one man's doing and that man isn't in Milwaukee anymore. You know, I I think there is something about those teams that needs to be celebrated. And surprisingly, very little happens. Like it even does come up when you get throwback jerseys. What is the one that everyone really wants they want they want purples you know they want they want something that either goes back to that 2001 team or goes just a little bit before that the one that they very briefly had when brandon jennings was on the team as a throwback you know and it's not what they're going for i understand that the ownership are very clever and i would also say very calculated in how they do that and for example last year if you want to bring some kind of throwback jersey in to represent what your books are in 2018, sure, it's a good idea to bring back the jerseys that Kareem and Oscar Robinson wore wore, and the jerseys that, you know, you won a championship in, as opposed to the jerseys that can be closely tied to less positive times. But within all that, there was a good spell. And I think that good spell means more to books fans then maybe the organization realize.
0: Well, I think, I mean, we talked about this the last couple of history months or any reference to the Big Three team. I mean, the fact, if you look at it now, like you, for example, because you aren't a, a Bucks lifer, you weren't following the team during the, that, that. I was completely
1: growing. oblivious. Completely oblivious at that time. Yeah.
0: You were like, Doo, do, 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 what's Milwaukee? Do, do, do. do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you've brought up the pack though it's like it's literally just one season but we kind of look at it this kind of like incredible just sudden rise of you know they were decent they made the playoffs the year before they went uh the gamut with the pacers and lost in game five but then it it all of a sudden exploded to this 52 win season or what uh, 51 whatever it is um and then it just gets te- torn down like impressively. I mean, I think that's the that's the thing about that era is that it, for all the highs that you think about it, you it's it's hard not to you take the the lows with it in equal measure because it just gets torn down incredibly fast. It's not even a season. They were they had like forty two wins and everything just crumbles. So. I think it's one of the build. Things, I,
1: the build up to it was there. It was pretty quick, but it was there. I mean, sure, it was one season of the actual success, but there was there were kind of signs of okay, project in the works, things building, and now here we are. It was it wasn't a completely out of the blue. You know, Ray Allen was developing and becoming one of the league's best players. Glenn Robinson was developing and becoming one of the league's best players the books had clearly found something under george carl it wasn't a really deliberate lengthy building process and maybe you know maybe part of the problem was it happened too fast and everybody got in their own head about it and whatever happened happened i mean part of why i i think that team now i find that team now more interesting than i did a couple of years ago more than when i really got to know that team i went back and watched games from that playoff run and the reason i find it interesting now is because this team could be that team Mm. and that's why i think it matters and you don't want it to finish like that team but if you look at the last 12 months the last 18 months and the i don't know there's a lot of elements in terms of the fan base being rejuvenated by, oh, hey, look, we've got something here. After after years of not having anything, we've got something. When you look at a young player who has really hit a new level, and I mean, I think it's fair to say Yanis is currently at a level beyond even what Ray Allen was at at that point, but to say, okay, we've got this leading star now. The talk of big trees, how often do we talk about the books in terms of a big tree? Whether that was at one point Yanis. Chris and going to be Jabari, whether it's now Yanis, Chris and Bledsoe. I mean, combinations like that. They there, there are real similarities for me between these two teams. And I, I think if you just imagine opening night, home opener against the Pacers, what if you had Ray Allen, your big dog, Sam Cassell might be tough because I think he's still got a job somewhere. What if they were on the bench? Not on the bench. What if they were courtside? <laughs> What if home opener, new arena, you can introduce them? I mean, it's not the same in a very unbiased, logical way as being, here's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, here's Oscar Robertson. It's not that. But I think there's a lot of people in the building who it might actually mean more for. And part of that is that, you know, that team is closer to the present. They are more of the age group of a large section of the fan base. You know, you've got a bigger percentage of people who will remember watching that group than the older teams. But it's also, there's a newness to it still because the organization don't do that. We're used to Marcus Johnson being around, Sidney Moncrief being around in the past. We're used to that generation. We're not used to more recent books, greats. And there are some of them. I know there aren't many, but there are some
0: of them. I mean, O.J. Mayo got a a, a nice... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just think it's one of those. It's a strange thing because it's it's just it's it was a flash in the pan. And it's not even just Ray out. I mean, we haven't. I don't think there's ever really been a mention of Glenn Robinson or any kind of like appearance with him. Maybe that's on his end too. It just no, it
1: just speaks. Our, our friend David on twenty one occasional yes. tweeter. And um, he wrote a great piece for us. I don't know if that was last year. It might have mean, the year before now ago? for history month, I think it was two years ago on Glenn Robinson. and Why he's kind of underappreciated and how that kind of perfectly fit the mold of who he was as a person, who he was as a player. But you're right. It goes beyond Ray Allen. It goes to Glenn Robinson too.
0: I just think, it, I think it seems more, maybe this is my, uh, <laughs> my cynical, pessimistic or whatever negative connotation uh my dark self maybe the, it just seems more fitting that due of how things just broke in this colossally like incredible way uh it seems more fitting that like the the elements that help make that season so special so special it obviously speaks to the <laughs> the tries spell that the Bucks have been on since then in terms of like actual sec success in terms of playoff victories and stuff like that um it just seems that there hasn't been anybody really represent uh or representing the that era of Bucks teams, or basically that season of Bucks teams. Bucks. It,
1: it really is a kind of like just like that, they were gone moment, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really it really did end as uh, suddenly as it began, and everyone was left to wonder, was it real at all? Leading leading on from all this, I think this this all fits into something. I wrote I about Wayne Embry today. I feel like most books fans probably know about Wayne Embry. I hope so. Um, If you don't, the the piece is up on BehindTheBookPass.com. Go and read it. Wayne Embry was, I think it's fair to say, the greatest GM in franchise history. Um, He came in shortly after his playing career. I mean, he was on the books' first roster. They picked him up through the expansion draft where he was a five-time All-Star, had just won a championship with the Celtics. And shortly after retiring, he came back to the books, worked his way up through the front office, and then when the general manager left in 1972, he left suddenly to join the Houston Rockets. Ray Patterson, I believe, is his name. Then Wayne Embry stepped up, became the GM. Embry was important for a lot of reasons. Um, basketball-wise, he kept things going. You know, he kept the kept the ship afloat. Is that the phrase? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of making up a phrase, but I feel like that one works. Um, for the years he was with the team, he had to deal with Kareem's trade request, and he dealt with it incredibly well. And he then had to find a coach to replace Larry Costello, who had been the only coach in franchise history, and obviously the championship-winning coach. So there was a great period of transition, and he managed to kind of get the pieces that, kept the books really successful for the next decade or so throughout his time with the team. On top of all of that, he was the first African-American executive of a major professional big four sports team, making him very much a pioneer. And in the time since he has gone on, he's continued to work in front offices around the league. He worked with the Cavs where he won executive of the year twice. He worked at the Raptors and indeed he still works the Raptors as a consultant. So, on the whole, I mean, you've got this incredibly impressive career, but a career that started out in a way where he was a real, I mean, he was unique. He, he was the only African-American in such a role. He was only shortly removed from playing. It was all very new to him. And he made an incredibly high percentage of good decisions, of the decisions that came his way. And they set the books up really, really nicely. So, in writing about Embry, I was kind of not dissimilarly to some of what we've talked about, just talking about how he he goes unrecognized. He's an unsung hero in, in the general and the kind of wider discussion of book's history. He's the kind of figure that you really feel like should be honored and mentioned a lot more often than he is, but hasn't been. And there was a piece... I believe it was in February of 2017 in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel at that time about how his jersey should be retired. He did play for the team. He had a pretty good season for what was his final season in the league. He averaged like 14 and eight um, in the Bucks' first season, his final season. But his jersey should be retired and he should be honored as other executives have around the NBA. I don't know if that will happen. And if it does happen, I mean, great. And he's definitely deserving of it but i think considering some of the other conversations we've talked about you know going that route the books may have a bit of a backlog Uh, marcus johnson would seem to be first in the queue and he even has himself seemingly alluded to that that's you know on the horizon that is something that could be in the works whether it ends up being this year or the following season who knows but he had an interview again with the journal sentinel near the end of last season. Where I believe he kind of hinted that was actually some...
0: earlier this year, like a couple of months ago. Was it was it that recently? Yeah. Okay,
1: where where he hinted that, you know, that conversation may have been had and they may have been reaching that point. But really what that got me thinking about is the whole system is broken, Jordan. The whole system. I would say the books have some jerseys retired that they probably shouldn't. And that's not to overly discredit any of the players there because all of the players whose jerseys have been retired were really, really good to great. But I think there needs to be a way where the books can honour and immortalise these players and their legacies that isn't just hang banners. And with this, Jordan, embrace yourself because I've had a brainwave. I think the books need to come up with their own Hall of Fame. I think there needs to be a Milwaukee Books Hall of Fame. The Packers have one of these, right? Ooh. You probably know that. I obviously didn't until the brainwave hit, and I went, "Hmm, do the Packers <laughs> have one of these?" Because if the Packers have one of these, you know, then we're in business. Then people can get behind it. Packers have six retired numbers. Do you know how many players they have? Not even players, which is part of the solution. Figures. Yeah, figures. How many individuals have they inducted into the Hall of Fame?
0: Oh man. I'm gonna go 100. Well, no, the, see they. I want to go 128, 162. Oh,
1: and that is the freedom this gives you, and I think it's something the book should look into. The numbers would obviously not be as high. Um, the Packers are a longer-running franchise. They are a sport where more individuals play. But what that has afforded them the chance to do is coaches, executives, broadcasters, whatever it is, you've got all these other figures who are really important in what the overall experience of the franchise is for fans who themselves have had sometimes unseen influence on the successes and failures along the way. And, It also gives you a chance to be like, you know, this player really, really, really good. I mean, not not great, great, not all time great that we're going to hang his jersey up, but really good deserves to be honored. Let's put him in the Hall of Fame. And that works with, say, Sam Cassell, I think would be a good recent enough example of that much loved figure, really, really, really good and important in his time with the books. But I mean, you're not gonna have to retire his jersey. Bogan. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can go back. You know and, well, let's not push it. <laughs> I mean, he's probably first in just because you know he's always there. <laughs> he'll be at the, he'll be at the ceremony anyway. Uh, he is quickly becoming the Forrest Gump of the Milwaukee Bucks. But yes, yes, he he
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> my god.
1: I I think a remake, though, I Go think before. there is room for that, and honestly, I'm a little surprised. Maybe it's my fault for not telling them about it sooner, Jordan. <laughs> this should have been a part of the new arena. Th- they should have had yeah. in the district some sort of feature. They still may have mm-hmm. um, once they hear the podcast, Jordan. But you'll I, be the I...
0: order. You'll be the order of the this wall of fame, wall the of honor later. Or- is that what it, an Order?
1: order? is a speaker. I mean, it's a public speaker.
0: Yeah, you're the, I don't know. What it?
1: I could be both. I mean, I can, I can orate and I can curate whatever, whatever Curator. they want. That's
0: but, what I was thinking of, curate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. do whatever, whatever they want me to do. Um, But in, in all seriousness, because I when you think of this, like, okay, you've got like owners, Wes Pavlon and Marvin Fishman, who brought the team, who went out of their way to bring an NBA team to Milwaukee in the first place. You've got, look at look at how Herb Cole has been celebrated in recent weeks. Okay, obviously we've got Herb Cole way and that itself is recognition. But that whole thing kind of highlights the issue because they obviously had to sit down and be like, we need a way to honor Herb Cole. I mean, I'm not saying what they came up with wasn't a good one, but there are plenty of other people whose influence on the franchise over the years deserves recognition. Um, you could have broadcasters, Eddie Dusset, uh Pashki ted davis john mac yeah ted davis um well yeah you could i, I because i put johnny mac in my article I went, no johnny mac's jersey's retired he's a player i mean he will be in there for whatever reasons he could get the he's contributor the he could get the contributor uh, status but basically the, the point at large here is there are so many different people who are significant and should be recognized, that people should have the opportunity to learn more about them. And I think it's an area of the team's history that is, you know, undersold. Because maybe if the wider fan base had a real sense of so many of these players and the coaches and the different stories and the success that the books have had over the years, maybe you don't have the kind of inferiority complexes that lead to, you know, I'm not saying become like the equivalent to Lakers fans and their obsession with excellence, Jordan. But I I think there's kind of a win-win here for everyone. I think it's good for the organization. It keeps your legends closer so that, you know, when you need an extra person to sit on the stage,
0: you can maybe get someone who isn't Steve Novak. Yeah, I mean, I I'm all in favor for this idea. I wonder how many. uh, See, that's the thing. It's it's a very. See, we're comparing it to the NFL. They have you know Packers Hall of Fame, the Brewers have a Wall of Honor and a Walk of Fame or something like that, kind of thing. Um, But those sports, obviously, there's more players, and then they have more of an imprint, uh, all this stuff. I wonder how many NBA teams have like a a wall of honor.
1: I don't I know. I because when I thought of this, like what is that I know the, don't
0: hear it much.
1: I know, like the Broncos have a they have a Ring of Fame. I think it's called. Yeah, like it it is a common thing in the NFL. It's a common thing. Well, I don't know. I won't speak on it. It's common in baseball. You you have a better idea than I would. Um, but it seems like something very logical to do. I mean if other teams aren't doing it i don't i mean that's maybe all the more reason why the books should do it i think there's a lot kind of it's an interesting time right now in the book's history with all the change and with with all of the work that this ownership group have put into the rehabilitation of the book's image and the change of perception and results on the court are trending the right way to change that and hopefully that's only going to get even better but I do think there's still ways that this can be improved, that this can be worked on in a way that involves the community more and creates a greater sense of what are the books, who are the books? Why should people care about the books? And, you know, there, there are other small market franchises around the league who it's safe to say have a more rabid fan base who are, those organizations are maybe more in tune with their history. Take for example, the Utah jazz come to mind as a, an organization and a fan base who are very much in touch with their history. They're maybe desperately clinging to Stockton and Malone in some ways, Yeah, but but that's okay. I mean, that if that works in energizing the fan base and giving the team a real identity, I mean, that's something that's still free agents who end up in Utah and they're not necessarily the biggest free agents, but the players who do, they will talk about, oh, I have memories of Stockton and Malone and I have memories of this, I mean, there's no reason why the books can't have their own versions of that. I mean, we're very much at a stage where there will be players who should be able to say, oh yeah, I remember watching the big tree books growing up and when Ray Allen hit this shot and Glenn Robinson had this game. You know, I, I think it is something that will be worthwhile, will be really interesting. I think it will be a lot of fun. I think people would be really interested in the kind of the initial process of that and how they go about it. You're right, how they'd actually do it. I mean, they could just do a hall of fame. They may come up with some more innovative way, basically a different shape <laughs> or a different kind of structure to house it in. Is and really antler, what
0: put it on like this antler. I don't
1: know.
0: But put it next to the Panorama Club. It's a club.
1: <laughs> I I think it's. I think I've come up with a great idea. I'm not yeah. going to be bashful at all, Jordan. It's a great idea, books. Uh, Hit me up if you want to talk about me curating and orating, according to Jordan, all events <laughs> Some at, the kind new, rating. at the new books Hall of Fame. All right, Jordan, we've got to move on to this week Hall of Fame happenings. We've already talked a little bit about Ray Allen. Friday, the day will come. Ray Allen will be a Hall of Famer.
0: So what? I mean, that's all who's getting inducted, right? That's also
1: getting inducted. <laughs> And yeah, let's be clear. These are not, these are de- they're definitely two figures who are not getting inducted for their books connections. Those those figures I mentioned at the start of the episode who, you know, when you look at the Hall of Fame page, you're like, oh, these people connected to the books. It's pretty weird for them to be connected to the books. Well, two more people who that will apply to will be added to that page in the next few days. Jason Kidd, former head coach, you may have heard What? Of him. Yeah. He, he's getting in for coaching. Coach? Yeah. Um <laughs> and the books very own Tom Hagen. Rod Thorn. Can I even say Jordan? Um no, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. They're very deserving. They're very deserving. Kid had a Not great year as a player. All Rod Thorn. I mean he drafted Michael Jordan.
0: I did not know that. Is that yeah. true?
1: I think that will be the whole introduction as he drafted Michael Jordan. I thought and, he was uh, gonna get
0: I thought he was gonna say something about, you know, drafting Rashad.
1: DJ <laughs> Wilson. He's gonna talk about recent draft ribs. Um Yeah, Torn, okay. Look, Torn is a I don't know what way to put it, an interesting figure. Yeah. Within the, the greater books. Hierarchy May, at the moment. Made a
0: cameo on Mission Impossible Fallout, of course.
1: <laughs> I, I shouldn't have let us here, because Jordan's not going to say a whole lot. We will also have coverage of Rod Torn and Jason Kidd's Hall of Fame speeches. I mean, the kid one is interesting, just from the point of view of, He's... this is basically his first public appearance, at least in a basketball sense, yep. since being fired. I mean, he has had some comments that he is relayed via text message mostly, but not... And the the hardback piece. Yes, and the hardback piece, but not where we actually get to, you know, have the full experience once again of hearing Jason Kidd say these words, seeing him say these words. I mean, we could have all sorts of prop bets on this. Will he, will he have mints on stage with him for his speech?
0: Oh, my God.
1: I mean... I don't think – you know, there probably will be some book stuff at some point because he's going to have media availability. It's the first time a wider basketball media are going to have a chance to speak to Jason Kidd. So I, I would expect some comments, some details on the end of his book's tenure to emerge again in the next few days. Um, But it will it will be somewhat interesting as his first major appearance since being fired as Milwaukee's coach.
0: There is a quote, uh, Om Yang Musuk had a piece on Jason Kidd yesterday. Uh, Monday, I should say. Um, it was something basically about his playing career. There was a quote because I was kind of just seeing if there was any Bucks comments. I did the same. Control left that. And I found a paragraph that was just saying something like... It was talking about like his drive and how it kind of boiled over to this reputation that he was not a... Uh, he was a coach killer or something like that, whatever it was. And he... Oh, it was like the perfect Jason Kidd quotes of like spin of like I didn't maybe or I can't I had to read it in front of me and I should probably brought that up but it was just like oh yeah that's I recognize this in, <laughs> right away
1: Jordan I mean we we all lived with the Jason Kidd experience for quite some time you know we there are certain things that only he can manage the one thing I will say is. It is kind of fitting that him and Rod, Here, Torn, I got it, I
0: got it. Sorry, sorry.
1: Come on, I was gonna say just that it is fitting that him and Rod Torn are going into oh, the hall yeah, together yeah. because in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways, their careers have been kind of inextricably tied. Well, Come on, let's hear it. Uh
0: I think that reputation is mistaken for wanting to win. Kid explains some of of some of his past relationships with the coaches. "Quote: Understanding what it takes to win and being a player in that moment, emotions are high. And my intent was to help my team win, but sometimes that is taken the wrong way. <laughs> that was a very evil laugh. But
1: yeah, when he talks about managing relationships with coaches, is he speaking about his relationship with himself? Is yeah. he? Is he really? Has he become self-aware, Jordan? That's the question here. I don't think so." No, it's unlikely. Okay, we've, we're going to move on to the mailbag. We've got a few questions that we missed. Um, we sent out a very impromptu mailbag last week, so we had finished recording, and the questions kept flooding in. So we're not going to let your questions go to waste. We're going to answer them for you. The first one from Brennan underscore Olin. Did Jordan Treske go to the block party? If so, what was his favorite feature of Pfizer form? Uh, it was well covered last week that Jordan did go to the block party. What was your favorite feature, though? I don't know if you ever pinpointed it, exactly.
0: I think the mo- the thing I gloat about the most, and I can't get out of my head, is that deer. I like the deer thing with the basketballs. You also, uh,
1: the panorama club, you were very fond of.
0: Well, I thought it was, it was one of those things, because, you know, when you're reading all this stuff, you just, like, kind of, at a it's certain just point...
1: Voice, right. You just... Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Just digest it, and then you're just like, okay, I'll see it eventually. And you're thinking, like, okay, it's Panorama Club. It's at the top of the arena. I don't like heights. I'm scared of escalators. Really? Yeah, I'm not an escalator guy. I get locked-kneed. My knees get locked.
1: Wow. I feel like we need to just explore this instead. No,
0: no, no, no. I should have said that. How are you with elevators? Elevators are fine.
1: That that just doesn't make sense to me. I take an escalator over an elevator. The escalator,
0: well, it's also anyway we've gone down a road that i didn't want to go down but <laughs> the deer i are you talking about the, wait no what was i talking about oh the panorama club
1: <laughs> i mean talk about the deer as well if you want whatever whatever gets you off your fear of escalators jordan yeah uh
0: but the panorama club it's one of those things it's at the top of the arena it's not you just don't really think about it but it it's really nice it's kind of it's yeah It's very nice but the deer, I'm sorry, I like
1: I, the deer go on i did guide you off the deer i mean do you have any advanced analysis on the deer other than you'll like it
0: i just think it's a good sculpture it's, it has the texture it looks cool it's did a very cool it? could thing. you touch it i didn't touch it but you could tell like the basketballs and how like the yeah the you know the grip you know what
1: a basketball feels like, so... I mean, in effect, I don't. I've
0: it. never watched this in <laughs> all my life.
1: <laughs> From Atsuka Mint, what's your projected stat line for Brook Lopez this season? I think it's a good question. Um, I go yeah, something like... 13, like...
0: 4, 1, and 1. 1.7. I, I was going
1: to go with 12, 6, and 1.5. With that 1.5 being blocks.
0: Was your 1.7 blocks? That was a but I should include blocks. I'm going to go... I actually... I'm going to go 15. 15 that's, that's just one more three than his last... last
1: per game, yeah. That's On a team me. with actual players that isn't the Lakers. Yeah. One. I, I'm not against this idea, but.
0: Adam. <laughs> I'm 15, 5, and. 55, 1.3 assists, and 1.6 blocks per
1: game. 15's a lot of points when you've got Yanis and Middleton and Bledsoe and Brogdon, and even like Snell, and, you know, keep going. That's a lot of points. How many points are the books going to score this year, Jordan?
0: Oh, I, mean, wow, I think that's when cool. we have to do our season preview, I think that's a very interesting question.
1: All right. Well, you know, with that carrot left dangling out there for people, we'll leave it there, you know? <laughs> might be a little on the crunchy side, maybe a little yep. bit on the the soggy side. I don't I Carrots probably go crunchy soggy. Crunchy and, and soggy in all, all the longer. same. Anyway, uh, from a chase across fourth best player on the books right now.
0: Well, we... I, this is the thing. Like We get to say talented, best, all this stuff. It's going to be the person that kind of... I don't know. I, I can never answer these questions right.
1: I mean, the top three, we know who they
0: are. So. Yeah. Giannis, Middleton, Pat Connington,
1: I knew you were going to throw one in there. <laughs> Giannis Middleton and Bledsoe are the three best, most talented. I think for in whatever term you want to use, it would apply equally with those three. So is that leaving us with Brogdon versus Brook Lopez? I'd say so. Berson? Don't think so. I, that's a that's a really tough question there's good reason to go either way i think lopez obviously has established himself as a certain kind of player and playing up to the ability he has for most of his career it would seem like he should be the fourth best brogdon has shown plenty to suggest he could be that um Part of that is going to be tied to then expectations and how both of those players fit, how they perform this season. Like maybe Brooke Lopez has a drop off. Maybe Brogdon doesn't quite play as well as we'd like. I don't, I don't know. I think it's really, really tough. I don't normally sit on the fence. I'm having a hard time separating those two. I think it's between those two, but maybe it's a good thing that they could be interchangeable, meaning that the books have five good players. Yeah, that's a good start. You're not going to come out with anything definitive, right? No, no, that'd be very, very out of character,
0: and that'll be brand.
1: from you. at Pandemonium KE, which I mean, I like it. It's a lot, he committed to the handle. There's a lot of characters before he gets to you know the MKE, but hey, it works. Any trade's going to happen. Who gets the last roster spot? I don't think any trades are going to happen. Um, who gets the last roster spot? It's Shabazz. I, I have given this a little bit more thought. I think I'd I'd look to get Shabazz on a contract similar to what Zeller is on, as in that you can uh, waive him yeah. around that time. And I think the biggest reason I do that is if... Trayvon Duval had a really good time with the Herd. I'd convert that contract and get him tied down. I think that's that's the one that stands out to me when you consider the kind of prospect Duval. everyone the kind of prospect everyone expected him to be a year ago. Let's say he really hits the ground running and has a really good season with the Herd. That by the time January comes around, you know, He's a contender for like mid season All Star. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but that would be one of the main reasons why I'd want the flexibility mid season of adjusting. I mean, sure, it could be Jayla Morris, it could be just to f- kind of see. Who's I think Jayla
0: Morris has a far greater chance. And if this is all menace, yeah,
1: sure. I mean, he has a greater chance. I mean, the reason why I'm saying Duval is though
0: because he has the pedigree reputation it's
1: not, it's not even the pedigree it's the potential more yeah i mean his his ceiling is higher if if everything clicked into place he could actually still be a guy who becomes an important player for the books that was part of why we were excited by that signing if he really looked good and they felt like he was you know grasping everything and making inroads in the right direction i think that's the move i'd be making because remember Bledsoe is going to be a free agent next summer Malcolm Brogdon too and then Delhi the summer after that you like you're potentially on the verge of having a whole host of point guard questions and not a lot of ways to answer them so if he could show something i mean it's a major major boost but then the next thing is okay don't just go oh great we've got him on a two way get him tied down and get him tied down cheap for as many years as you can be be a smart team <laughs> that's all i'm asking jordan um but Sure, it may not be him, and that would be asking a lot of him. It could be that Jalen Morris is doing great and he could come in and offer something like that, or maybe that they have options for someone else. Maybe Shabazz is contributing and looking really good and they want to keep him. Um, whoever it would be, though, I would want that same out that they have at the moment, basically, with Zeller, that you know they could take stock of everything, if they had a player with their herd yeah. on two-way or not, or if there was someone else who became available, that they'd have the freedom to say, yeah, okay, let's do this. Let's either give someone a 10-day or let's sign into a longer-term deal.
0: Yeah. say with uh, Liggins, uh, the non-guarantee thing.
1: Yeah. I thought you were going to bring up the fact that Liggins was waived and he's going to no, swoop,
0: swoop in at the, last,
1: at the last <laughs> moment again. Without coming to training camp, he'll decide at the last minute. Um, from at JW Morledge. If you could bring one book player back from the 2010 Fear the Deer squad in the same form and put them on the current team, who would it be? I'm going with my man Carlos Delfino, Del Ooh. Tree. Which I will say is a very, very good call straight off the bat.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not used to astute observations like that when we get questions about the Fear the Deer team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to anyone, but it's generally you know going to be a Brandon Jennings thing. Then I don't know
0: who would you bring back, Jordan. I mean, this is not even a question. Well, first of all, Urshad is back, so that that question this it's already been answered technically <laughs> because he was on that team. But mine is uh, Jerry Stackhouse, simply for the national anthem.
1: I think I'm going to get you to write about Jerry Stackhouse and the National Anthem later did we, this did month. Do we do that already? Did no, we... I don't, I don't I think just, so. I, I have just, an so. idea. I have an idea, a larger idea that that could be a part of, though. So I think you're going to be, Jordan's going to be right about that soon. There are actually a, a lot of, it's not a bad thing. I thought you'd be into it. Um, There there are some really good candidates on that team. Oh, right? yeah,
0: Mabamute.
1: Right. That was one I was about to go to. And then the other one is obviously uh, Bogus would be, uh, yeah, no, 2010 Bogut still would be very useful for this Bucks team. He
0: was all NBA that year.
1: That was the year he was all NBA. Yeah. Would make a pretty big difference. Um, averaged 16 points, 10.2 rebounds. So, yeah, that would be helpful. Other than that, though, we're getting very quickly into the kind of joke territory that we'd spend way too long in.
0: Primoz Roko
1: Rokovic.
0: Francisco Elson.
1: Did Royal Ivy actually, was he actually on the roster that year? Games played. 18 games, yeah, I guess. All right. Um, is that it? Have I got one more? I've got one more, Jordan. From a Bill Canzineri. Who will be your biggest surprise contributor and non-contributor this year? I think there's going to be more than one on both sides.
0: So hmm. biggest surprise contributor and biggest surprise non-contributor.
1: I think I've got my surprise contributor.
0: I already have that one. Okay, I who's wanna, yours? I want to keep beating this drum till it, till the the shell. It's not the shell. The skin, there we go. The skin breaks. Pat Connaughton, I'm all aboard. Planet Pat, I live on Planet Pat. (laughs) I'm yeah. I think he's. I think he's gonna get more minutes than people realize. I really do. He's tailor made for. He's Taylor Jenkins made for a coach. Oh my god. System. (laughs)
1: I think Delhi could be a surprise contributor this year. Delhi is also really, really well suited to a bud team. He's going to move the ball. If you need someone to basically orchestrate that ball movement and make sure the team are acting it out, I think he will do that. Um, he is steady in a lot of ways, not something that Books Hands would be delighted to hear because, you know, sure, um, there have been lots of bad things that have come with Delhi. Not a whole lot of good, really in terms of his production since signing. I think that could change this year, and if he shot the ball a little bit better and he was the kind of active ball mover that Bud and his teams generally kind of turn to, he could kind of hold down a spot in the rotation and be more effective than people would expect and are at this point probably like. Um, I, I think he could be the surprise contributor this year. I mean... If not, it's it's really beyond a disaster at this point. And I mean, even people who didn't like Delhi at the time that deal was signed probably wouldn't have imagined it turning out just as bad as it will have if he can't contribute in a meaningful way this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do think things could turn for him. Non contributor, have you got anyone in mind for that?
0: Well it has to be a surprise, obviously. So DJ Wilson's out, <laughs> uh, and I say that as a semi DJ Wilson apologist. If the yeah, we're thing we're we're exist. basically you know
1: as high on DJ Wilson as anyone is.
0: That's not very high, but we have to say like just don't write him off just yet. Just give it a little more time. They can write out write him off as you please.
1: I, I'm guessing Dante doesn't count here as well because as a rookie, what can be expected. I'm not saying that there aren't fans who expect from Dante, but I think that will very much set up disappointment. I mean, if he's not a surprise, he's gonna be my answer.
0: Could you say Zeller just because I don't think he's gonna break the team this season? I don't know. I think the I think the the ones to that are re, you could reasonably point to is Thon, just because you know. The I wrote about it the other day, but the idea of Thon, it's still something that it's hard not to cling to, even though uh everything else says otherwise. <laughs> Why you shouldn't? Uh, Snell might be in that picture. Honestly, I don't. Th- don't I think don't. So. I don't think so. But you never could know. be.
1: Could be. I think the I'll go the other side of the coin to you on Thon and. It's very much going to be either or between these guys, I feel, this year, and uh, it could be Henson.
0: Actually, yeah, Henson, I feel Henson.
1: I think Bud and the staff will work really hard to make Tan work because he can do more of what they want to do in an ideal world, so they may put up with some of the struggles that come with that to make it work. Henson is a tougher fit in that regard. Now, I could be proven wrong on that because they have, I mean, they built a really good defense around Dwight Howard a couple of years ago, and Henson could True. certainly do a lot of those things, um, on the defensive end at least. But he could certainly be—I mean—a real non-contributor, r- racking up DMPs throughout the year. If they can get anything out of Ton, or even, you know, how much is it going to be about getting anything out of Ton? It could just be what we've seen, like for mo- most of the last two years when there's been anything positive, it's not necessarily that everything he's doing is good as much as the player type he is and his style bringing out the best in his teammates. If that holds up, well, then John Henson will be in trouble for minutes. Yeah. All right, that is it for us for now. We'll be back sometime next week, probably around the same time next week for another episode of the podcast, another primarily history themed episode. And we'll probably tack a mailbag onto that so that there will be some more current stuff again, and just to keep a mix for that. So keep an eye out on Twitter around the week from now. If you've got any questions you'd like to send our way next week's team for our articles and likely therefore the team for the podcast will be great books teams. We'll probably end up talking a little bit more about 2000, 2001 and also some of the great books teams that went before them. Until then, thanks as always for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and favorite us of TuneIn Radio. You can also read all of our work, behind the and follow us on Twitter at Winin'Six Podcast. Thanks again for listening.
0: Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.